Section 18 of the Journals of Robert Falcon Scott Volume 1 by Robert Falcon Scott This is a LibriVox recording. Section 18 Chapter 9 The Work and the Workers Part 1 Sunday, April the 23rd, Winter Quarters The last day of the sun and a very glorious view of its golden light over the Barn Glacier we could not see the sun itself on account of the glacier, the fine ice-cliffs of which were in deep shadow under the rosy rays. Impression The long, mild twilight, which, like a silver clasp, unites to-day with yesterday, when morning and evening sit together hand in hand beneath the starless sky of midnight. It blew hard last night, and most of the young ice has gone, as expected, Patches seem to be remaining south of the glacier tongue, and the island, and off our own bay. In this very queer season, it appears as though the final freezing is to be reached by gradual increments to the firmly established ice. Had divine service. Have only seven hymn-books, those brought on shore, for our first service, being very stupidly taken back to the ship. I begin to think we are too comfortable in the hut, and hope it will not make us slack, but it is good to see everyone in such excellent spirits, so far not a rift in the social arrangements. Monday, April the 24th. A night watchman has been instituted mainly for the purpose of observing the aurora, of which the displays have been feeble so far. The observer is to look round every hour, or oftener, if there is aught to be seen. He is allowed cocoa and sardines with bread and butter. The cocoa can be made over an acetylene Bunsen burner part of Simpson's outfit. I took the first turn last night. The remainder of the afterguard follow in rotation. The long night hours give time to finish up a number of small tasks. The hut remains quite warm, though the fires are out. Simpson has been practising with balloons during our absence. This morning he sent one up for trial. The balloon is of silk, and has a capacity of one cubic metre. It is filled with hydrogen gas, which is made in a special generator. The generation is a simple process. A vessel filled with water has an inverted vessel within it. A pipe is led to the balloon from the latter, and a tube of India rubber is attached which contains calcium hydrate. By tipping the tube, the amount of calcium hydrate required can be poured into the generator. As the gas is made, it passes into the balloon, or is collected in the inner vessel, which acts as a bell jar, if the stopcock to the balloon is closed. The arrangements for utilising the balloon are very pretty. An instrument weighing only two and a quarter ounces and recording the temperature and pressure is attached beneath a small flag and hung ten to fifteen feet below the balloon with a balloon silk thread. This silk thread is of such fine quality that five miles of it only weighs four ounces, whilst its breaking strain is one and a quarter pounds. The lower part of the instrument is again attached to the silk thread, which is cunningly wound on coned bobbins from which the balloon unwinds it without hitch or friction as it ascends. In order to spare the silk any jerk as the balloon is released, two pieces of string united with a slow match carry the strain between the instrument and the balloon until the slow match is consumed. The balloon takes about a quarter of an hour to inflate. The slow match is then lit and the balloon released. With a weight of eight ounces and a lifting power of two and a half pounds it rises rapidly. After it is lost to ordinary vision, it can be followed with glasses, as mile after mile of thread runs out. 
Theoretically, if strain is put on the silk thread, it should break between the instrument and the balloon, leaving the former free to fall. Then the thread can be followed up, and the instrument with its record recovered. Today this was tried with a dummy instrument, but the thread broke close to the bobbins. In the afternoon a double thread was tried, and this acted successfully. Today I allotted the ponies for exercise. Bowers, Cherry Garrard, Hooper, Clissold, Petty Officer Evans, and Creon take animals, besides Anton and Oates. I have had to warn people that they will not necessarily lead the ponies which they now tend. Wilson is very busy making sketches. Tuesday, April the 28th. It was comparatively calm all day yesterday and last night, and there have been light airs only from the south to-day. The temperature, at first comparatively high at minus five degrees, has gradually fallen to minus thirteen degrees. As a result, the strait has frozen over, at last, and it looks as though the Hut Point party should be with us before very long. If the blizzards hold off for another three days, the crossing should be perfectly safe, but I don't expect Mears to hurry. Although we had very good sunset effects at Hut Point, Ponting and others are much disappointed with the absence of such effects at Cape Evans. This was probably due to the continual interference of frost smoke. Since our return here, and especially yesterday and today, the sky and sea have been glorious in the afternoon. Ponting has taken some coloured pictures, but the result is not very satisfactory, and the plates are much spotted. Wilson is very busy with pencil and brush. Atkinson is unpacking and setting up his sterilizers and incubators. Wright is wrestling with the electrical instruments. Evans is busy surveying the Cape and its vicinity. Oates is reorganizing the stable, making bigger stores, etc. Cherry Garrard is building a stone house for taxidermy, and with a view to getting hints for making a shelter at Cape Crozier during the winter. Debenham and Taylor are taking advantage of the last of the light to examine the topography of the peninsula. In fact, everyone is extraordinarily busy. I came back with the impression that we should not find our winter walks so interesting as those at Hut Point, but I am rapidly altering my opinion. We may miss the hill-climbing here, but in every direction there is abundance of interest. Today I walked round the shores of the North Bay, examining the Kenai Cliffs, and great masses of morainic material of the Barn Glacier, then on under the huge blue ice-cliffs of the glacier itself. With the sunset lights, deep shadows, the black islands and white bergs, it was all very beautiful. Simpson and Bowers sent up a balloon to-day, with a double thread and instrument attached. The line was checked at about three miles, and soon after the instrument was seen to disengage. The balloon at first went north with a light southerly breeze, till it reached three hundred or four hundred feet. Then it turned to the south, but did not travel rapidly. When two miles of thread had gone, it seemed to be going north again, or rising straight upward. In the afternoon Simpson and Bowers went to recover their treasure, but somewhere south of Inaccessible Island they found the thread broken, and the light was not good enough to continue the search. The sides of the galley fire have caved in. There should have been cheeks to prevent this. We got some fire-clay cement to-day, and plastered up the sides. I hope this will get over the difficulty, but have some doubt. Wednesday, April the 26th. Calm. Went round Cape Evans. Remarkable effects of icicles on the ice foot, formed by spray of southerly gales. Thursday, April the 27th. The fourth day in succession without wind, but overcast. Light snow has fallen during the day, 
Tonight the wind comes from the north. We should have our party back soon. The temperature remains about five degrees, and the ice should be getting thicker with rapidity. Went round the bergs off Cape Evans. They are very beautiful, especially one which is pierced to form a huge arch. It will be interesting to climb around these monsters as the winter proceeds. Today I have organised a series of lectures for the winter. The people seem keen, and it ought to be exceedingly interesting to discuss so many diverse subjects with experts. We have an extraordinary diversity of talent and training in our people. It would be difficult to imagine a company composed of experiences which differed so completely. We find one hut contains an experience of every country and every clime. What an assemblage of motley knowledge! Friday, April the 28th. Another comparatively calm day. Temperature, minus 12 degrees. Clear sky. Went to ice caves on glacier south of Cape. These are really very wonderful. Ponting took some photographs with long exposure, and Wright got some very fine ice crystals. The glacier tongue comes closer round a high bluff headland of Kenite. It is much cracked, and curiously composed of a broad wedge of white neve over blue ice. The faults in the dust strata in these surfaces are very mysterious, and should be instructive in the explanation of certain ice problems. It looks as though the sea had frozen over for good. If no further blizzard clears the strait, it can be said for this season that the bays froze over on March the 25th, the strait froze over on April the 22nd, the strait dissipated April the 29th, the strait froze over on April the 30th. Later, the hut point record of freezing is night 24th, 25th, ice forming midday 25th, opened with leads. 26th, ice all out, sound apparently open. 27th, strait apparently freezing. Early 28th, ice over whole strait. 29th, all ice gone. 30th, freezing over. May the 4th, broad lead opened along land to Castle Rock, 300 to 400 yards wide. Party intended to start on the 11th, if weather fine. Very fine display of aurora tonight, one of the brightest I have ever seen over Erebus. It is conceded that a red tinge is seen after the movement of light. Saturday, April the twenty-ninth, went to Inaccessible Island with Wilson. The agglomerates, kenites, and lavas are much the same as those at Cape Evans. The island is five hundred and forty feet high, and it is a steep climb to reach the summit over very loose sand and boulders. From the summit one has an excellent view of our surroundings and the ice in the strait, which seem to extend far beyond Cape Royds, but had some ominous cracks beyond the island. We climbed round the ice foot after descending the hill, and found it much broken up on the south side. The sea spray had washed far up on it. It is curious to find that all the heavy seas come from the south, and that it is from this direction that protection is most needed. There is some curious weathering on the ice blocks on the north side. Also the snow drifts show interesting dirt bands. The island had a good sprinkling of snow, which will all be gone, I expect, tonight. For as we reached the summit we saw a storm approaching from the south. It had blotted out the bluff, and we watched it covering Black Island, then Hut Point and Castle Rock. By the time we started homeward it was upon us, making a harsh clatter as it struck the high rocks and sweeping along the drift on the floe. The blow seems to have passed over to-night, and the sky is clear again, 
but I much fear the ice has gone out in the strait. There is an ominous black look to the westward. Sunday, April the 30th. As I feared last night, the morning light revealed the havoc made in the ice by yesterday's gale. From Windvane Hill, 66 feet, it appeared that the strait had not opened beyond the island. But after church I went up the ramp with Wilson, and steadily climbed over the glacier ice to a height of about 650 feet. From this elevation one could see that a broad belt of sea ice had been pushed bodily to seaward, and it was evident that last night the whole stretch of water from Hut Point to Turtle Island must have been open, so that our poor people at Hut Point are just where they were. The only comfort is that the strait is already frozen again, but what is to happen if every blow clears the sea like this? Had an interesting walk. One can go at least a mile up the glacier slope before coming to crevasses, and it does not appear that these would be serious for a good way further. The view is magnificent, and on a clear day like this one still enjoys some hours of daylight, or rather twilight, when it is possible to see everything clearly. Have had talks of the curious cones, which are such a feature of the ramp. They are certainly partly produced by ice and partly by weathering. The ponds and various forms of ice grains interest us. Tonight have been naming all the small land features of our vicinity. Tuesday, May the 2nd. It was calm yesterday. A balloon was sent up in the morning, but only reached a mile in height before the instrument was detached by slow match. In the afternoon went out with Bowers and his pony to pick up the instrument, which was close to the shore in the south bay. Went on past Inaccessible Island. The ice outside the bergs has grown very thick, fourteen inches or more, but there are freshly frozen pools beyond the island. In the evening Wilson opened the lecture series, with a paper on Antarctic flying birds. Considering the limits of the subject, the discussion was interesting. The most attractive point raised was that of pigmentation. Does the absence of pigment suggest absence of reserve energy? Does it increase the insulating properties of the hair or feathers? Or does the animal clothed in white radiate less of his internal heat? The most interesting example of polar colouring here is the increased proportion of albinos amongst the giant petrels found in high latitudes. Today have had our first game of football. A harassing southerly wind sprang up, which helped my own side to the extent of three goals. This same wind came with a clear sky, and jumped up and down in force throughout the afternoon, but has died away tonight. In the afternoon I saw an ominous lead outside the island, which appeared to extend a long way south. I am much afraid it may go across our pony track from Hut Point. I am getting anxious to have the hut party back, and begin to wonder if the ice to the south will ever hold in permanently, now that the glacier tongue has gone. Wednesday, May the 3rd. Another calm day, very beautiful and clear. Wilson and Bowers took our few dogs for a run in a sledge. Walked myself out over ice in North Bay. There are a good many cracks and pressures with varying thickness of ice, showing how tide and wind shift the thin sheets. The newest leads held young ice of four inches. The temperature remains high, the lowest yesterday, minus thirteen degrees. It should be much lower with such calm weather and clear skies. A strange fact is now very commonly noticed. In calm weather there is usually a difference of four or five degrees between the temperature at the hut and that of Weathervane Hill, sixty-four feet, the latter being the higher. This shows an inverted temperature. 
As I returned from my walks, the southern skies seemed to grow darker, and later stratus clouds were undoubtedly spreading up from that direction. This is about 5 p.m. About 7, a moderate north wind sprang up. This seemed to indicate a southerly blow, and at about 9, the wind shifted to that quarter and blew gustily, 25 to 35 miles per hour. One cannot see the result on the strait, but I fear it means that the ice has gone out again in places. The wind dropped as suddenly as it had arisen soon after midnight. In the evening Simpson gave us his first meteorological lecture. The subject, coronas, halos, rainbows, and auroras. He has a remarkable power of exposition, and taught me more of these phenomena in the hour than I had learnt by all previous interested inquiries concerning them. I note one or two points concerning each phenomenon. Corona. White to brown inside ring, called aureola. Outside are sometimes seen two or three rings of prismatic light in addition, caused by diffraction of light round drops of water or ice crystals. Diameter of rings inversely proportionate to size of drops or crystals. Mixed sizes of ditto causes aureola without rings. Halos caused by refraction and reflection through and from ice crystals. In this connection, the hexagonal, tetrahedonal type of crystallization is first to be noted, then the infinite number of forms in which this can be modified, together with result of fractures. Two forms predominate, the plate and the needle. These forms falling through air assume definite position. The plate falls horizontally, swaying to and fro. The needle turns rapidly about its longer axis, which remains horizontal. Simpson showed excellent experiments to illustrate. Consideration of these facts and refraction of light-striking crystals clearly leads to explanation of various complicated halo phenomena, such as recorded and such as seen by us on the Great Barrier, and draws attention to the critical refraction angles of 32 degrees and 46 degrees, the radius of inner and outer rings, the position of mock suns, contra-suns, zenith circles, etc. Further measurements are needed, for instance of streamers from mock suns, an examination of ice crystals, record of ice crystals seen on barrier surface. Rainbows, caused by reflection and refraction from and through drops of water. Colours vary with size of drops, the smaller the drop, the lighter the colours, and nearer to the violet end of the spectrum. Hence white rainbow is seen on the barrier, very small drops. Double bows. Diameters must be 84 degrees and 100 degrees. Again, from laws of refraction. Colours, inner, red outside, outer, red inside, i.e. reds come together. Wanted to see more rainbows on barrier. In this connection, a good rainbow was seen to northwest in February, from winter quarters. Reports should note colours and relative width of bands of colour. Iridescent clouds. Not yet understood. Observations required, especially angular distance from the sun. Auroras. Certainly most frequent and intense in years of maximum sunspots. This argues connection with the sun. Points noticed requiring confirmation. Arch. Centre of arch in magnetic meridian. Shafts. Take direction of dipping needle. Bands and curtains with convolutions. Not understood. Corona. Shafts meeting to form. Notes required on movement and direction of movement. 
colours seen, supposed red and possibly green rays preceding or accompanying movement. Auroras are sometimes accompanied by magnetic storms, but not always, and vice versa. In general, significant signs of some connection, possible common dependence on a third factor. The phenomenon further connects itself in form with lines of magnetic force about the earth. Curious apparent connection between spectrum of aurora and that of heavy gas, argon, may be coincidence. Two theories enunciated. Arthenius, bombardments of minute charged particles from the sun gathered into the magnetic field of the earth. Birkeland, bombardment of free negative electrons gathered into the magnetic field of the earth. It is experimentally shown that minute drops of water are deflected by light. It is experimentally shown that ions are given off by dried calcium, which the sun contains. Professor Stormer has collected much material showing connection of the phenomenon with lines of magnetic force. Thursday, May the 4th. From the small height of Windvane Hill, 64 feet, it is impossible to say if the ice in the strait has been out after yesterday's wind. The sea was frozen but after twelve hours calm it would be in any case. The dark appearance of the ice is noticeable, but this has been the case of late since the light is poor. Little snow has fallen or drifted, and the ice-flowers are very sparse and scattered. We had an excellent game of football again today. The exercise is delightful, and we get very warm. Atkinson is by far the best player, but Hooper, Petty Officer Evans, and Crean are also quite good. It has been calm all day again went over the sea-ice beyond the archberg. The ice, half a mile beyond, is only four inches. I think this must have been formed since the blow of yesterday, that is, in sixteen hours or less. Such rapid freezing is a hopeful sign, but the prompt dissipation of the flow under a southerly wind is distinctly the reverse. I am anxious to get our people back from Hut Point, mainly on account of the two ponies, with so much calm weather there should have been no difficulty for the party in keeping up its supply of blubber, an absence of which is the only circumstance likely to discomfort it. The new ice over which I walked is extraordinarily slippery, and free from efflorescence. I think this must be a further sign of rapid formation. End of chapter 9, part 1